Our reading this morning is from Nehemiah 8, which if you don't have your own Bibles or devices can be found on page 491 of the Blue Church Bibles in front of you. So Nehemiah 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zachariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. They bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Good morning, I'm Chris Webb, uh, and I've the privilege of opening up that passage and explaining it, just like, just like Ezra explained the word of the Lord to the people there. So um, the title of our, of our message, of our theme for this morning, is Celebrating the Voice of God. And I was going to ask, um, when was the last time that you heard the voice of the Lord? Um, but Nick did something similar in the service, but I'd like you to think about that. When was the last time that you heard the voice of God? Well, as Andrew mentioned last week, we've come to a new section in our series in Nehemiah, Ezra Nehemiah. Chapters 1 to 7 were all about building the wall, and chapters 8 to 13 are really all about building the community and reforming the community. And that's what we're seeking here. It's one reason why we've chosen this as a series. 
in Above Bar. We're also seeking a renewed experience of God as we're coming out of the pandemic. We're seeking a renewed joy. We're seeking a renewed hunger and attentiveness to the voice of God. So in this chapter, chapter 8, we read about this great gathering where Ezra the priest opened up the book and all the people were gathered under the word. And I suppose the main point this morning is that to be renewed and to continue to be a passionate follower of Jesus, you need to open the book regularly, individually, and in community because renewal and growth comes through feeding on the word of God by the power of the Spirit. Now, in the first sentence of our, of our reading, we're told right at the start, it was the seventh month, and the Israelites had settled in their towns. Seventh month is the month of Tishri. It overlaps with our September, a bit of October, and it marks the beginning of a new year. And the first day of the month was a festival called the Feast of Trumpets. And so after the completion of the wall, hundreds of men and women and children, whoever was able to understand, gathered in Jerusalem for this Feast of Trumpets. Now, in the Bible, gatherings are very significant. I'm reading this book by Christopher Ashe called Remaking the Broken World. And it's all about gathering and scattering. When humans gather under God's word, he renews them and they gain wisdom and they experience joy. When humans gather in their own name to exalt their own wisdom, they end up scattered as they had done at the Tower of Babel and again during exile, which is what they've just come out of. So our title today is Celebrating the Voice of God, and we're going to divide our time into three We're going to see the voice of God valued, verses 1 to 8, the voice of God applied, verses 9 to 12, and the voice of God celebrated, 13 to 15. So first of all, the the voice of God valued, verses 1 to 8. If you've got your Bible, it'd be really helpful to look at it. I'm going to go through it line by line. So um, we read here, all the people in verse 1 came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded us for Israel. And what I want us to see here is that the people were gathered and hungry. There were all kinds of of women, all kinds of people here. On the first day of the seventh month, the priests brought the law uh, before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. They were driven by a common hunger to hear the voice of God as it had been given in the scriptures. This is shorthand for the scriptures as they had them then. Now, how about you? Do you want to hear the voice of God? Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone. He needs every word that proceeds from God's mouth. I wonder if you are hungry for God's word here this morning. One of the great legends in my country of Wales is the story of Mary Jones. Do you know this story? If you go on the uh, Bible Society website, it's, it's right there on the first page. In 1800, 
when Mary Jones was 15, she hiked 26 miles barefoot in Snowdonia to reach Bala, where she got her hands on a Bible in Welsh. That's what she was seeking. A Bible that she'd saved up for six years to buy. And this then prompted the pastor at Bala, Thomas Charles, to set up the Bible Society, where they could then send Bibles far and wide. But Mary Jones was hungry, hungry for the Word of God, so hungry that she hiked that distance. And the people here were hungry too, and in their hunger, they gathered. And by gathering under the Word of God, we are saying, speak, O Lord, speak, because we do not naturally possess the wisdom that we need as humans. Please help us. Please communicate to us so that we might be better image bearers of you. So the people were hungry, verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 and 4, the people were attentive. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon. Don't complain about me if I go on too long. Daybreak until noon. Last week, Andrew Page was talking about distraction. This week, it's the opposite. They were so attentive. To be attentive is to be undistracted. Verse 4, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And there beside him were his, his co-workers, his elders, other Levites who were able to explain the word as well. But everybody needed access to what was being said. And they expected God to speak to them directly through the word that, that had been given to Moses centuries before. And there was an urgency about their listening. They were attentive. Every eye was, was on Ezra in his wooden platform as he opened up the word. Now, in the history of this country, there have been times where there's been a supernatural attentiveness to God's word as it's been explained. Have you read the stories about George Whitfield and John Wesley in the middle of the 18th century? This is what George Whitfield writes about his visit to Bristol in 1739. The trees and hedges were full of people. At a moderate estimation, there were 10,000 people to hear me. When I began, all was hush. The sun shone bright. It was a day like today. And God enabled me to preach for an hour with great power, and so loudly I was told that all could hear me. With no microphone, <laughs> 10,000 people in the fields, so he was shut out of the churches. The fire is kindled in this country, and I know the devils of hell shall not be able to quench it. An attentiveness, a supernatural attentiveness during a time of renewal. Now, often our experience of engaging with God's word is distracted. We switch off, we check the football scores, the rugby scores, the cricket scores, the tennis scores. Well, I'm the chief of sinners here. But as Ezra stood on his wooden platform, every eye was on him, and they were attentive, and this was the doing of the Holy Spirit. 
When Paul speaks to the Thessalonians in his first letter, he says, Brothers and sisters, I know that God has called you. This is how I know. When the word came to you, it came with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction, not just as words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. That's 1 Thessalonians 1.4. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever sat in a gathering and it seemed like the preacher was speaking to you? Yeah, I've had that. The, the night that I became a Christian, I was, I'd only gone to the Christian Union at Leicester University because I fancied this girl. <laughs> a common story. But as I sat there, I felt like somehow that this preacher knew about me and my life. And he said, there's a young man here tonight, and he's very confused, and the Lord's speaking to you, isn't he? And there were, there were like 300 people there on that Friday night. And uh, I, I was saved. 20, 20 of us were, were converted in those first few weeks of, of university. It, was, it wasn't just the words of a man. It was deep conviction, the Holy Spirit, power. Well, they were not only hungry and uh, attentive, they were also responsive. Verses 5 and 6. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down. The people identified themselves with what he was saying. Something our um, African-American brothers do much better than us. Amen, brother. Preach it. Would you open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8? Yes, sir. Amen. Hallelujah. It's not really part of our culture. We tend to moo like cows. Mm. (laughs) But the point is that worship is not just the singing. Worship is listening and responding, listening with hunger, listening with attentiveness, listening with responsiveness. And at Ezra's meeting, the reading of the book led directly to the opening of their hearts and their mouths in prayer, in penitence. Folks, these people are just like us, distracted, sinful people just like us. But that means that we are capable of having the same experience as these people. Question is, are we responsive to God. Or when we encounter God's word, we just want to chug it down like medicine because someone told us it would be good for us. Well, we see that these people were hungry, they were attentive, they were responsive. And in verses 7 and 8, we see that the people were teachable. The Levites, I won't read them all out, instructed the people in the law while, they were, while the people were standing there and they read from the book of the law of, the, of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So this great congregation, this great gathering, it seems like it was broken down into smaller groups. And these Levites who are mentioned there, they led small group Bible studies, perhaps translating the original Hebrew into the more vernacular Aramaic answering questions, 
helping the people understand God's word. How good it is, folks, to have a teachable spirit, to keep on learning, to keep on thinking, to keep on mulling and reading and discussing and growing in your knowledge and love of God all your life. I heard of someone this week who said on a particular issue, I am never going to change on this issue until the day I die. There's an English word for that called intransigent, uh, unchanging. It's the opposite of being teachable. We need to be a lifelong learner who's willing to listen, who's willing to learn, and maybe change. I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, on the resurrection of Jesus or some central doctrine, but maybe change opinion on uh, secondary things. The thing is, you see, the Bible is like an onion. It doesn't reveal its secrets on the first reading, or the second reading, or the third reading, or the fourth reading. It is literature that is meant to be meditated on over your whole life. So it doesn't reveal its secrets on the first reading, and that means we need to read it over and over and over again and be teachable. So in this section of Nehemiah, the the word of God valued, we see the people gathered, we see them hungry, attentive, responsible, and teachable, heart, without the E. And to be a passionate follower of Jesus, these are the attributes that I need to cultivate, hunger, attentiveness, responsiveness, teachability. Well, our second main heading covers verses 9 to 12, God's word applied. Verse 9, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, do not weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. We see here that scripture, the voice of God, the word of God, often exposes our sins. The scripture touched the consciences of those listening. The apostle James, in his letter, he describes the Bible as a mirror. One of the metaphors for the Bible is a mirror. In a mirror, you see your own dirty face. Me this morning, I looked in the mirror. Oh, who is that old bloke? I thought I looked much younger. Without a mirror, we have... um, We have no vision of ourselves. But these people, as they looked into the mirror of God's word, they were confronted with the scripture's revelation of the majesty of God, the awesomeness of God, the loyalty of God, the steadfast love of God. But in comparison with that, their own disloyalty, their own selfishness. And they wept, and it was genuine and heartfelt. And that has often been an experience in times of renewal as well, a weeping over sin. In January 1907, God was moving in a powerful way in North Korea. A missionary there records the scene like this. As prayer continued, a spirit of heaviness and sorrow for sin came down. Over on one side, someone began to weep. And then in a moment, the whole audience was weeping because man after man was rising, confessing his sins, breaking down, weeping, and throwing themselves to the floor. Everybody forgot each other because they were face to face with God. It seems like something like this was happening 
also in the time of, of Nehemiah and Ezra in this assembly. We read about the confessions that they prayed in chapter 9, which, um, which will be looked at next week. But we see here that Scripture exposes our sin. But Scripture also pronounces forgiveness and joy. We read on, verse 10, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send, send those to have nothing prepared, because this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When I think of Nehemiah, I think of him as a bit of a bruiser, to be honest. You see that in chapter 13, where he starts pulling out people's hair and beating them up. But here, he is urging them to, to, to get some sweet drinks, some food to celebrate, because the joy of the Lord is their strength. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? Verse 10. The joy of the Lord is our strength, folks. Joy. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not about food and drink, but it is about goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Daily Telegraph, a couple of weeks ago, conducted a poll that concluded that British people are filled with unprecedented gloom about virtually every area of life. We see that in our art, in the popularity of the TV series that we like to watch, like Squid Games and Hunger Games and Divergent and Maze Run, all these dystopian uh, things that have been produced lately. But the gospel is joyous. We're going to hear that at Christmas again, aren't we? The words of the angels. I bring you good news of great joy that is for all the people. Tomorrow, I'm going to conduct the funeral of my grandma. I'm stressed. All the family are arriving today, and I'm, I'm stressed. But I've been encouraged, and I was sharing when we were asked to say, you know, when has the word comforted us? about the resurrection, the news of the resurrection, which I'm going to preach tomorrow. might be the last time my dad hears the gospel. He's really not well. But the, the news of the resurrection, man, that, that my grandma will cycle again. She'll go to the garden again. She'll speak French again because there's a bodily resurrection to come. May the joy of the Lord be our strength, folks, even when we're mourning. May peace, joy and strength be yours and mine through the good news of sins forgiven, of peace with God, of a clean slate, of friendship with God on the basis of what Jesus Christ has earned for us. May the joy of the Lord be our strength this week. So we see the, the, the word of God um, valued, and we see the word of God applied, and lastly, we see the word of God celebrated need to be a bit more quick in this section. On the second day of, of the month, verse 13, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and Levites, gathered round Ezra, the teacher of the law, to give attention to the words of the law. And they found, written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and they should proclaim his word and spread it throughout their towns in Jerusalem. So through studying the scriptures in their small groups led by the Levites, people realized that halfway through the seventh month, 
they were supposed to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. And at the Feast of the Tabernacles, they were supposed to have a big camp out. That was the visual aid, all camp out to remember how the Lord had rescued them and provided for them on the journey from Egypt to the promised land where they were birthed as a nation. And really, this Feast of the Tabernacles directed people to the past, present, and future. To the past, because they were supposed to to give thanks for the, the past, because Tabernacles reminded them of their great exodus, that the Lord is their captain and their rescuer, and they were to, to thank him for, for what he had done in the past to birth them as a people. It was a witness in the present, because as they camped out in tents, it was an amazing visual aid to teach the children. To, why are we doing this, Dad? Why are we doing this? Well, this is the Feast of the Tabernacles. It was a great witness to strangers and foreigners, a great visual aid to pass on to the next generation. And it expressed confidence in the future. It reminded people that not just in the past, but in the present and the future, they would always be a pilgrim people. They would always be on the move with, with God as their captain and their champion. They would always be looking forward to a city, as the writer to the Hebrews says, without foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so the people celebrated. We read here about celebration and joy. And folks, when we truly encounter God, we may encounter our own sin and we may weep, but we will also encounter joy because even though life is tough, Peter says in his first letter that that believers are commonly filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because we are receiving the salvation of our souls. And what we need to do is to preach to ourselves. Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Preach to yourself. Because we're receiving the salvation of our souls. So the word of God valued, the word of God applied, the word of God celebrated. And growth comes by regularly feeding on God's word. Now, as I conclude, I've got two questions I'd like us to to think about. One relates to us as individuals, and the other relates to us as a gathered people here. Firstly, as individuals, what role does the voice of God have in your life? How do you value and apply and celebrate the word of God in your life? What practices do you use to help you to have heart, hunger, attentiveness, responsiveness, teachability? See, folks, we are meant as Christians to have an ongoing conversation with God. Man cannot live on bread alone. We, are, we love breakfast, lunch, and dinner but we can't live on that alone. We need every word that proceeds from God's mouth. A comedian called Lily Tolin says, why is it that when we speak of God, we're said to be praying, when we speak to God, sorry, we're said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we're said to be schizophrenic? No, we're to expect God to speak to us, but for God to speak to us, I guess we have to make time. And that isn't easy when we're 
we're busy working. Um, when I was in Thailand, I had to be at my desk at 7.50 a.m. Um, staff meeting often at 7.30. It's, it's not easy when you have a busy working and family life. One resource I found really helpful lately is Pete Gregg's Lectio 365 that you can just listen to. Um, it lasts about 10 minutes in the morning and the evening. But if possible, at least once a week, like this morning, such a beautiful morning, to go for a walk with God, you know, with a friendship, you need to make time. And it's good to make time for God, to go for a walk with God. Because as Christians, we stand in a millennia-long tradition of human beings who have a relationship with him. Dallas Willard, who writes a book called Hearing God, says this, the spirit who is in us isn't mute. He doesn't restrict himself to just an occasional nudge or a hot flush or a brilliant image or goosebumps every now and again. We interact with God in a relationship of listening and speaking. And I think if we're attentive, we can hear him speak in gatherings like this, but also individually and through the wise counsel of, of Christian people. The second question is, what, what role do our gatherings play in valuing and applying and celebrating the voice of God? Read Christopher Ashe's book, Remaking of a Broken World, to answer that question more fully. But as we gather, we're not just coming to church and showing up. What we're doing is we are anticipating and role-playing the final gathering of all God's people in every age which John describes in Revelation 7 verse 9, a gathering of every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered before the throne and before the Lamb. We're anticipating it. So what we're doing here is actually very, very significant. And this gathering is anticipated by all the major gatherings in the Bible, including this one in Nehemiah 8. Our great hope as Christian people is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1, it says our great hope is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. We're gathered here this morning because we've been gathered to Jesus. And we're gathered here under God's word to represent the regathering of heaven and earth that's going to occur at the end of time. The time when the Garden of Eden will once again reoccupy the earth and the city of the New Jerusalem will encompass the size of the whole earth and we will celebrate. So our gathering is really important. I don't know if it was difficult for you to come today. It seems it, it's kind of difficult to show up to church. We have an enemy who doesn't want us to, to gather, an enemy who wants us to, to scatter but we've come here today to celebrate the voice of God, which is our title. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we get to hear the voice of God by getting to know Jesus Christ. So will you make the weekly gathering a weekly priority? Let's have some time just to, to speak with him now in silence and maybe make a resolution to to, to make some time for him, for your relationship with him this week. Let's have a time of quiet and then I'll, I'll hand back over.
Lord, thank you once again for your word. Help us to make time to value it, to apply it, to celebrate it. Amen.